Well, you never know exactly what you're going to get with 1819 News, the podcast. We could go crazy politics per usual. We might go theological as we did last week, or we may bring on a big star from Last Chance U, uh, the Netflix documentary. We have Brittany Wagner this week coming in to talk about uh, her role in that, her story being born in Mississippi and how she got into uh, being an athletic academic counselor. Uh, where she learned uh, that skill set and how she's really applied the God-given gifts that she has um, to make a difference in many people's lives. We have an incredible culture here in the state of Alabama, but our politics and public policy don't reflect the people of Alabama. Media drives culture. Culture is what drives politics and public policy. Welcome, everyone, to 1819 News, the podcast. I'm Brian Dawson, CEO of 1819 News and host of this year's podcast. We've got a great episode for you this week as we continue to pursue a free and flourishing Alabama. We'll be on, as we always talk about, we inform, investigate, and celebrate. And, and this week we'll be focusing on celebrating, celebrating something good uh, by an Alabama resident. Uh, this week we have an incredible guest coming on. It's Brittany Wagner a nationally respected athletic academic counselor and motivational speaker best known for her role as the breakout star of the hit Netflix documentary series, Last Chance You. She's helped over 200 football players academically qualify for nationally respected NCAA Division I schools, and all of the students Brittany advised who are currently playing in the NFL also hold college degrees. She is the author of Next Chance You, and in 2017, she started her own business called 10,000 Pencils, we're going to hear her story today and have her tell us all about all of those things. Um, but, you know, we love stories, so we're going to start with that, see how it is that she got here. And then behind the scenes, um, maybe we'll go with the craziest last chance you stories uh, that she can share. And that will be uh, for you guys that are paying members. And on that note, Alabama needs 1819 News and 1819 News needs you. So please sign up to become a member. Membership start as little as $5 a month. With that, you get access to great behind-the-scenes content like we'll be producing today. You'll also get merch. The hats are in, and the hats are fantastic. So sign up. I think it's a $10.99 a month. Gets you a hat. Go on there. Uh, do that. Uh, do that today. So um, I'm going to welcome in. We have Allison Sinclair, who's also here uh, helping us. Um, she's the bubbly one who keeps things fun, and we thought this would be a great episode to be bubbly and fun. So we drug Allison in here uh, to help us interview Brittany. So Allison, thank you so much for coming in. We're already best friends. Yeah. Besties. Done. It doesn't take long. Check. Check. Where's the pencil? Got it. Oh, that was good. That was yeah. good. Uh -huh. I thought she was going to walk in with 10,000, yeah. but no. A little hard to carry. Yeah. No. A little bit. Actually, she didn't have one. She had to get one from Ashley. One. Yes. Whoopsie. Right. Allison just ratted you out. I know. It's well, okay. I think it's okay. a good lead in to like 10,000 pencils. Where does yes. that even come from? I guess we'll go. get there. Yeah. Well, there we go. Brittany, thank you so much for um, taking the time coming and join us. And you live in Birmingham. Is that right? I do. I do. So we yeah. made it easy right for here. you. Yes, you there did. You go. Thanks for having me. Well, what I want to do, I want to start out with just kind of a bullet point of um, what is Last Chance You? What is 10,000 pencils? Just a, a quick quick broad overview then go into your story and then we'll go more in depth into those things so what is last chance you if for folks who maybe aren't familiar with it yeah well last chance you um it, i guess it's a show obviously on yeah. netflix but i guess the institution that i was working at kind of got dubbed that name by um, a writer for gq magazine 
So we were a, we are, they, they still are in existence. I just don't work there, but they are a powerhouse junior college football program. I mean, it's a, it's a, a junior college in the middle of literally nowhere in Mississippi, a scuba, Mississippi population, 400, 40 miles from the nearest Walmart. I yeah. mean, there's nothing. Oh my. Um, it's located in the second poorest County in the United States of America, um, Kemper County. So extremely um, impoverished area, but there's this junior college that just sits there, and they created this powerhouse, these powerhouse athletic programs, not just football. They've got a successful basketball program, baseball, um, and rodeo. Go figure. Um, I know. But (laughs) we basically would take – we took athletes that we kind of dubbed it as some of them no one else wanted um, that had been kicked out of other institutions for behavior issues – um, run-ins with the law or didn't academically qualify to go to a bigger institution. And so we would take them and then there was really nothing to do. So it was kind of books and ball. Yeah. Um, it was kind of, we, we kind of named it ourselves. Like it's just a, like a rehab place yeah. kind of for these kids. And so, and then we ended up, I mean, being the Alabama of junior college football, we won four national championships when I was there, um, put out more players to division one institutions than any other junior college in the country. And GQ Magazine came in and did an art, a feature story on us, and the writer of that article titled the story Last Chance You, and it just stuck. I mean, it's kind of what we became yeah. known as, and then when Netflix picked it up as a show, they kept the title, and and I guess we will forever be yeah. Last, Last Chance, Chance You. Yeah. yeah, but it's East Mississippi Community College um, in Scuba, Mississippi. They're still going strong, and I worked there for eight years um, six years before the TV show, and then filmed the show for two years, and then and then left. So, how did you get there? My heart. So, I was a counselor. I had done that was my career path, an athletic academic counselor, and I had been doing that for fifteen years at, at the Division One level. Yeah. So, I was working uh, in the SEC at the time. That's helpful because you know what they're looking for. Correct. Correct. And I was in the SEC actually, um, successful and and you know well on my way to being this big-time SEC athletic counselor, and I got a call from the president of East Mississippi, and he was like, look, um, we, you know, we're struggling. We're struggling to keep our doors open. We're struggling um, to get our name out there, and so we're going to pour some money into athletics, and we're going to really try to build this thing starting with athletics, um, and we, we need you. Like, we need someone to help these kids off the field. We've got the coaches in place. We're going to put money towards the facilities, but we need an off-the-field um, counselor and, and mentor for these guys. And so at first I was like, no, thank you. I mean, who wants to go to Scuba, like, Mississippi? Good. Right. <laughs> I didn't even know. I had lived in Mississippi my whole life. I had no idea that Scuba, Mississippi existed. Oh, you grew up in Mississippi. That was, right? So that was going to be, <clears throat> so let's Did segue. I jump? You, it's, oh, this is what we bring you in for. It's uh, You never know what you're going to get with Allison. Right. Oh, I just yeah. want to know. It's, I know. She, actually, she's uh, aggressively inquisitive. <laughs> there we go. Yes, they call That's me aggressively good. helpful. And I said, well, with Brittany, I will just be aggressively inquisitive. Yes. There we go. Yeah. And not good. just you. Every other interview we do. So um, that that was uh, where were you born? Tell us about your parents. How did you get into uh, athletic counseling? Mm-hmm. Uh, how tell us tell us that story? So I'm from Mississippi. I've, I lived in Mississippi my whole life, from right outside the Jackson area, which now everyone knows about yeah. Jackson, Mississippi. But um, I was I lived there. Went to a public high school in, in Clinton, Mississippi. Um, have two educated parents. Both of my parents worked in education. Um, my dad ha- is a psychologist and then teaches psychology classes at Mississippi College. So I had, I you know, I had the, the li- you know, the childhood that, yeah. you know, but um, I, but I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I, had, yeah. I, I really had no idea. 
Um, I struggled academically growing up. Like I, I'd made good grades, but I, it didn't come easy to me. I had to like really work for yeah. it and, and apply myself. And I really didn't have, looking back now, I realized I didn't really have the confidence mm-hmm. that people thought I had. Yeah. Um, I was confident in other areas of my life, but I was not confident in academics. I mean, I did not want to get called on in the classroom. Yeah. You know, I wanted to just kind of blend in. So I, I just really didn't have those the ambitions. I went to college at Mississippi State. I had I was no idea what I wanted to do. Um, my junior year, my advisor called me in and was like, "You're undecided still, and like it's time. You know, yeah. you, you got to figure it wow. out." That's impressive. You made what it to you your junior do? year undecided. Yeah. And I then, really didn't know. I did not know. Nothing excited me really, other than sports. I liked sports. And so I I got the catalog, I flipped through it, and I was really bad at math, um, and I had been labeled a developmental student because I had to take intermediate algebra, and, you know, it scored so low on the ACT that they didn't think I could do it. And so I flipped through the catalog, and I literally found the major with the least amount of math, hmm. and it was sport communication. And I was like, I don't really know what that is, but these classes look cool, so here we go. I'm going to do that. And my advisor was like, no. No, I don't think you should major in that. And I was like, "What? Why?" And she said, "Cause you're a girl." What? And she's back then. I mean, I'm 45 years old. So back then, women weren't really allowed, you know, yeah. on the sidelines. We weren't really allowed in the locker rooms. I mean, it it was a man's field, and there yeah. weren't women out there doing it. And so she was like, "I think you're just going to have a really hard time." getting a job in this field because you're a female. She said, not to mention the fact that you're going to be the only female in this major right now. Like you're going to sit in every class with guys. And I just don't know if you're going to be able to handle it. Did that make you want to do it more? No, (laughs) but it didn't make me want to do it less. Okay. You know, I, I wasn't, I said, write it down. This is what I'm going to do. And everybody's always like, when I, when I speak and I say that, you know, the women in the room will start clapping and I'm like, I don't know if you should clap because I don't think I did it. I wasn't like, write it down because I was like this big feminist with all this confidence. I said, (laughs) write it down because I honestly was embarrassed and like, frustrated and mortified and kind of like, just, can I just get out of this office? Like, you know, there's that embarrassing moment where you think I'm supposed to know what I want to do. I'm supposed to have it figured out and I don't. And I think I was just more in a place of like, look, I don't know, like just write it down and we'll see how this goes. Um, I loved my classes. I was the only female most of the time and it was intimidating. And I think there were moments where I felt like I got made fun of or kind of just like my opinion didn't matter. But I think that that was a good thing for me. I think it helped me to build confidence. It helped me to understand that like, when you know you've got to just you've got to just do you, yeah. <laughs> you got to just be yourself, but stand firm in it, and like no matter what, like no matter who's in the room, no matter you know you just you just got to own it. And so I, I I did, and I ended up graduating, um, and then I got a graduate assistantship. I, I decided to get my master's. I got a graduate assistantship in the athletic academic office at, at Mississippi State, and there was a strong African American female that was the counselor to football, the football team at Mississippi State. And I was working for her. And I watched that woman just in awe, her, the way that she could motivate the guys, the relationship that she had with them, the mentor that she was. I just, I looked up to her and I thought, 
this woman is amazing. And I kind of knew after two weeks of working with her, I was like, this is it. Like, this is what I was born to do. I mean, this is, I'm in the right place. And That's so incredible. from from that moment on, I mean, you know, I was, so Ms. it was kind Ms. of Wagner a was mistake, born. not a mistake, <laughs> but like you were just, you were like this, I mean, it had to do with sports. You love sports. Yeah. So you're like, we're just going to head down this path. And you landed exactly where you were supposed to. I think right. it's interesting, you know, all the pressure that we put on students, to know what they want to do by a certain age. And you really think about it. You were in college when you figured out what you were created for. Mo There's many people who picked their career path in, you know, maybe their freshman year went to college are in the career path and they still haven't figured out what God created them to do. Right. And, and that there's, those are two different mm -hmm. things. I had no idea. Uh, you don't know my background, but I should have ended up at last chance. You, I dropped out of high school, ended up in drugs, went to prison, whole thing. Um, Never in a million years did I think I would be, uh, you know, a radio executive or in the business side of radio or start my own media company. Like none of those things yeah. ever crossed my mind ever. I wanted to be a cop. And it's funny because I landed in prison. It's neither here nor there. <laughs> but point being, it, it's it's weird, the pressure that we put right. on. But I think that's yeah. really cool that, you know, that, you know, just in, in I would say God's providence, you got to be with this person and just like. That's it. That's what I, that's what I'm created right. for. Yeah. That's awesome. And I think, you know, I think it's, I, I tell, I work, still work with college kids and I tell them all the time, like, you don't have to know, Yeah. <laughs> you know, dabble in that, take a class over here, take a class over yeah. here. Like I usually encourage students when they come in to go undecided and, yeah. and, and take some classes and figure it out. And, you know, a lot of kids major in things that pressure from their parents. Yeah. You know, they my dad's an accountant, so yeah. I need to be an accountant, or and and it's not what they want to do. Or you've got you've got students that get a four year degree, and after they gotten the degree, it's their first time to actually step in an office and see what the job actually is, and they hate Ugh. it. Yeah. You know, I hear that with attorneys constantly. How many people right. have gone to law school that never practiced law? They're like, I would rather die. Right. Because yeah. we don't ever give yeah. them the opportunity to actually see what it's act, what that job actually entails. Yeah, you it's know, romanticized in our heads. Oh, you well, know, we stick them in classes. It's going to be a John Grisham novel. Right. right. <laughs> it was not that. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it lucked, I, I lucked out because I I did love it. And, um, you know, I it, it, I knew immediately that it was exactly where I needed to be. But I was also in graduate school. I mean, I yeah. also was just kind of floating through life like, I don't really know, you know, what yeah. I'm going to do. And I'm in graduate school. But um, after being in that office for two weeks, I was, I was, that was it. And so I, that was my career. I mean, I had done it for 15 years before I went to scuba and, um, and yeah. Where did you go? So let's, let's cover that 15 years. You sat under the lady at Mississippi State, watched her, knew that's what you wanted to do. Where did you go from there? So I actually start. I took my first job. Um, I worked for the Charlotte Knights, which is AAA baseball for the White Sox. Um, I actually worked for Tommy John, the guy that yeah, this is surgery yeah, is named Jones. after. Yes, <laughs> yes. My elbow surgery. Yeah, that's right. That's, <laughs> that's right. cool. I worked for him. Um, I was doing community relations. So we were trying to get – what we tried to do was get these baseball players to go out in the community and do good works and do yeah. good things in the community with the, with the hope that then the community would support us because they built relationships with the players and actually wanted yeah. to see these guys succeed. Um, I hated it. <laughs> so I did that for like a, a couple months. Um, and I just knew, I just was like, this is not the same. Yeah. Um, I wanted to be back in college. And so I yeah. um, okay. went back and took, did a, another kind of graduate assistantship at Mississippi State. And then I got hired full time at Jacksonville State right here mm -hmm. up the road. 
So I worked at Jacksonville State for a couple of years, and then Mississippi State called me while I was at Jacksonville State and said, "Look, we've got a we've got a full time counselor position that has opened up because they had never had a. I was always doing these like graduate assistants or part time because they never had a position when I was yeah. after I graduated, and they called me and were like, "We've got this position open. Do you want it?" And absolutely, you know, an yeah. opportunity to go back and work in the office next to my mentor, yeah. um, be back at my mm-hmm. alma mater. So I went back and I was there for a while until East Mississippi called. Okay. And then, so I was in Mississippi most of my career, except for Jacksonville State, which I loved Jacksonville State too. So, yeah. And people yeah. would say you were crazy for leaving Mississippi State to go to mm-hmm. I think E-M-C-C. I thought I was crazy yeah. too. Yeah. Like, I think everybody thought like, what is she doing? Yeah. Um, and it ended up being the the best, obviously, the best move I've ever made. Isn't I mean, it crazy? changed my life. Yeah. Never in a million years would I have, I obviously didn't take the job to be on a TV show. That never popped in my mind. I took the job because I've always said, put me where I'm the most effective, like put me in the place where I can make the most impact. And when I got offered that position, my immediate response was no, because of the shininess of the mm-hmm. SEC. Yeah. You know, I knew that sounded better. It looked better to everybody else. It was prestigious. I had the title. I had the charter flights to Madison Square Garden. You know, it was all the showy, glittery stuff. And I was like, why, you know, why would I leave yeah. all that to go to this, this dump over here? But then when I really stepped back and thought about it, I thought, but you know what, Brittany, that's, then you're a fraud <laughs> because, yeah. because this is where you will make the most impact. Like these kids need you. The SEC, the, the players playing in the SEC, eh, do yeah. they need us? Maybe, but Couple I don't know. Yeah. But these guys, this is life or death. This is yeah. freedom or prison. Like this is a, this is a different deal. It's a different ball game. And I, so I stepped back and said, you know, I've got to do this. And it was also the opportunity to build something from the ground up. I mean, we were coming in and creating mm-hmm. the plan yeah. and then building it from nothing to be this powerhouse program. And so it was an opportunity I felt like to really do it um, and do it my way, like do it the right way. Um, and so after I thought about it, I was like, I've got to, you know, I've got to do this. And, and I, and I, I loved every minute of it. It was super challenging. I mean, there were days where, you know, I would lay out on my desk and just cry. You know, (laughs) I mean, it was emotionally draining every single day, but, um, but I loved it. I loved every minute of it. Yeah. And never in a million years did I think that Netflix would come calling. Just one guy's article, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's crazy. And then how many? So you were on the first season. Were you on two seasons? First two. I tried to go back and watch them. They're not on Netflix anymore. They are. You just got to scroll up. Oh, you got to click Last Chance You, and then you got to click over to the left and then scroll all the way up to the top. Well, I was with a bunch of boys. Because there's like seven seasons now. So, yeah. Okay. So my son had like five friends at the lake this weekend for Fourth of July. And I was like, have you all ever watched Last Chance You? And they're like, yeah. And I miss, I guess I was raising the kids that were watching you. And I said, well, we're going to interview Brittany this, um, this week. And they're like, oh my gosh, she's the only reason these kids like made it out. It was really, that was your kind of breakout moment that led you to 10,000 pencils. And, and I guess we'll get to, there's a movie about you or no. There was going to be one. Okay. COVID killed it. COVID did a lot no, of things, but it killed movie. that. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's being tabled. I'm jumping way ahead, <laughs> but like, that's just kind of crazy how, yeah, people are looking at you and I bet you probably woke up in Scuba, Mississippi one day and were like, what the heck am I doing? Did you ever question or you just went in and you loved it? 
No, I loved it. I mean, there. Were, I think I went in thinking I'll I'll be here three years. Like in my mind, my plan, which my you know my plan never is what actually happens, but my plan was I'm gonna I'm gonna be here three years. I'm gonna we're gonna build this powerhouse. Let's win and we'll win a national championship in year three, and then at the SEC will call me back, and I'll go somewhere else. Like I'll go to LSU or yeah. Tennessee or you yeah. know I'll go back to big time. Um, and, and be able to move up, you know, after having established myself in the junior college world and, and eight, eight years later, I was still sitting there. So clearly, you know, that just wasn't the plan, but, um, I, 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 but, but honestly, I think I, you know, I mean, I think everybody does that when you have bad days at work or bad day, you know, you always kind of start letting your brain question, should, is it time? Is it time to move? And I think I just... I was just patient. I mean, I think I just sat there and thought, like, you know what? Like, when, when I'm supposed to go, it something will present itself. Yeah. And nothing of value ever did. I mean, I got offers, but it was nothing ev- that I really ever felt comfortable taking. And thank goodness that I was patient because, I mean, honestly, the show changed my life. I mean, I like nothing about my life is the same. So right. that's incredible. Yeah. Um, so 10,000 pencils, tell us about, so it was 2017, you created that, is that right? Correct, yeah. Right. So I read um, Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, and in that book, he talks about 10,000 hours of effort and mm-hmm. how, you know, in order to really be good at something, you have to put in 10,000 hours of effort. And a yeah. lot of people don't ever get there because they'll quit on like 9,000 hours. Yeah. And, you know, he really talks about like finishing, you know, finishing strong and so I left the show. I left the school. Um, I was moving to Birmingham, and I met a guy at Red Cat Coffee House yeah. in Pepper Place. Yeah. So I was just kind of at Red Cat, you know, d- just kind of working, and I was doing a lot of motivational speaking at the time. And and this this man comes up to me, and he's like, "Hey, a huge fan. You know, what are you doing in Birmingham?" Blah blah blah. We start talking, and he come to find out he was a small business like um, developer. And, and he was like, well, I can't believe you left that. You were so good at that. Like, that's clearly your calling or whatever. And he was like, I mean, if you could do anything, like, if you could, what would you do? And I said, honestly, I would, would work for myself. You know, I, was, I, would, I would do it. I would still work with these athletes, but I would do it outside of an institution mm-hmm. so that I could do it my way. And he, and he was like, well, let's do it. And I looked at him like, what are you talking about, man? And he got like a ta- like a napkin and he just started like writing out a business plan for 10,000 yeah. pencils. He's still my business manager today. Stop. Yeah. Um, great friend. He and his wife, okay. um, still my business manager. But he really helped me like have the confidence to do it. I don't think I ever would have had the confidence to just bet on myself in that yeah. way. Had he not really been sitting there going, you can do this. Like you have the name, you have the ability, you have the platform. Like you don't, you don't need anybody else. Like you got this. I would Mm. have never had enough confidence to say that to myself. Um, And so we just started it out and we just kind of, he had a friend, you know, it's connections, it's networking, it's relationships. Like he had a friend who developed websites and developed logos and, and he called him and we met. And then it was just like, we're going to build a logo. We'll build a website. Um, you know, here's the plan. And so we started out with me just doing consulting. I mean, schools were calling me and saying, like, we've got this kid. Can you help him? Or, or we've got this team that really needs, um, 
we need someone like you. And rather than me moving and working just for that institution, we developed really the system where I could work with all these schools at the same time. Um, and so that's what we started doing where schools are, would, would hire me and I would, you know, fly, fly wherever and spend a week, two weeks, a couple days, whatever the, you know, we needed to do and then work with either the athletes themselves or sometimes I've, I figured out along the way that it work it helps if you work with the adults because now I feel like there's lots of Brittany Wagners out there because mm. I've worked with the adults. And so it's you teach the adults how to better help these students. And then you can leave yeah. and know that those students are not going to fall flat on their face because they have someone like yeah, you there. That, it's like a teach a man to fish thing. And so that happens with me a lot because I've been able to overcome addiction and got out of prison and all these other things. Hey, can you help my son? Hey, can you help, you know, this kid? It's like, well, I can. And typically I'm talking to the parents and saying, here's, you need to do this. You need to cut, you know, and I, I that's actually more effective than going to the one who's mm -hmm. in it. And then when they kind of understand the principles and how to go about it, they're going to be there forever. They're permanently connected to that person. Right. They can actually help, you know, uh, do those things. So that's interesting. So that's really what it is. I mean, I, I, do, I do a lot of motivational speaking, which that's tied through 10,000 pencils too, but but then, you know, I go into these schools and work with, and I've, I've, I've worked with entire districts. So elementary all the way to high school, I've worked with junior colleges, I've worked with colleges and it's morphed over the years. I mean, we've certainly had to pivot. We've certainly had to evaluate and change things. Um, but now I've gotten to where it's not even athletes, you know, anymore, mm -hmm. really. I mean, there's athletes here and there, but a lot of the students I'm working with are non-athletes and, 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 um, you know, I'm working with an entire staff on how to help all of their students, not just the athletic groups. So it's yeah. been fun. I've gotten to travel and, you know, it's helped me too, because I was in Mississippi my whole life, which I think is a good base. Cause when you're working in the poorest state in our country, yeah, you see it all. Um, and, and, but you know, to be able to go to Pennsylvania and see what students in Pennsylvania are dealing with, or go to Michigan, Detroit, Michigan, and see what that's like. And then you you, you learn one thing that we're, we're all the same. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's different faces, same problems, same challenges yeah. everywhere. But, you know, it, it, it helps to have perspective. It helps to see people in other areas and, and the way that they live and the challenges that they face. I think it helps me to be a better person, um, you know, because I've been able to go. I've, I, I feel like I've worked in every state in our country by this point. But, yeah, yeah. it's crazy and awesome. That gives me hope for my two college-age kids who have no clue what they want to do They'll with their lives. They'll figure it out. And they, like, can't sleep at night. I'm like, you're 18 and 20. And Get I just keep telling off. them, I'm like, just keep head in a direction, kind of like you did. Mm -hmm. Just keep moving forward. Yeah. No direction mm -hmm. is bad, especially for boys. Got to have direction, but don't make it so finite that this is, you know. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. You don't have any more aggressively inquisitive questions? Well, I Allison? keep thinking you're about to say we have to go to a break. We, no, we don't do breaks anymore. Well, nobody told it's me that. Form. This is Joe Rogan, Alabama style. I have so <laughs> many questions. I was waiting for you to be like, we got to go. Well, no, don't. we're not going. No. Okay. Fire away. So you want me to go. Okay. Um, so I watched you and since I'm old and couldn't find season one on Netflix, I, there was like a little best of season okay. one. Okay. And it shows you interacting with the athletes and, and like you were so good with them. And, and I, I don't know how you keep the balance. Cause I know you did because you were so impactful between <laughs> you loving them and you support them and you're fun with them and you joke around with them, but it looked like you don't mess with miss Brittany. Like she will come after you. 
How did you, have you always been that way? Or is it something watching at Mississippi State? I mean, your mentor there, like you do it really well. And I think that's the balance. My my oldest son, his kid, his his kids, not yet. Oh gosh, don't put that out there. Yeah. (laughs) Real out there. Let me me go backwards. (laughs) My older son, his friends, you know, were always at the house and I'm always... You know, it's it's always a balance because you love these kids and not all of them come from, even in Shelby County, the best home mm-hmm, life. Mm-hmm. And you want to be there for them. You don't, how do you straddle being a, a friend and somebody that they can like joke around with? Because it's obviously you have a good camaraderie. Also keeping them going. Mm-hmm. You do it very well. Even in the eight minute best of clip, I was like, she's figured that out. I have figured that out for sure. Um, I think it, it did, you know, I think in some ways that is my personality a little bit. Um, I, I, you know, I think there's, there's some innate abilities there, like some God given things that I have, um, that I don't think you can teach. You know, I think you've either got it or you don't yeah. for uh, some of that. But I do think a, a lot of it was practice. I mean, a lot of it was having the awareness to realize if I'm going to be effective in this job. And I'm gonna if I'm gonna actually make a difference in these kids' lives, then I can't be the person that's always nagging them. Yeah. Like no one yeah. wants to walk in the office of a woman who's only got bad news. Yeah. Like that's not how I'm gonna get them to hang out in my office. Yeah. And so I started figuring out if I'm only calling them in when they're in trouble or when they've done something bad or when there's a problem, then I'm going to have to call them in. And in my mind, I thought, I I don't want to have to call them in. Like, I want them to just be here because this is where they feel safe. This is like where they feel comfortable to be. And I knew too that if I ask someone, tell me about your childhood or tell me about your life or, you know, they're not going to tell you the parts that they think they shouldn't. Like, they're not going to these kids don't have the confidence to lead with, yeah. you know, how you led with your story. Yeah. They're, they're trying to cover up what they think is not going to be accepted. And so me asking them the questions is not going to get the answer, the truth. But if I, if I will allow them to be themselves and I can meet them where they mm. are and where they are is not, you know, may not be acceptable to a lot of people, but it is where they are. Yeah. I mean, it is who they are and where they are. And if I can meet them where they are and then if – if I can just listen, if you've got five football players in your office and you're just acting like you're working and they start talking, you will find out a whole lot of stuff. And so I would just sit and listen to them interact with each other, or I would play along with the conversation. You know, I I wouldn't lead with judgment or like, I would just kind of like play along. And I was doing that to... To, to know, like to, to hear. And in my mind, I'm thinking like, okay, now I know, you know, this about him or this about him. I mean, I was taking notes in my head, but not taking notes to judge them, taking notes so that I could learn how to connect, like so that I could learn how to help and learn what their needs were and what their experiences were and, and, and why their behaviors were what they were. Mm. Because I couldn't help change a behavior if I didn't know why we were doing it. And that was really... You know, and so I did. I allowed, I created a space where I felt like they, I think a lot of, I started thinking about it and I'm like, you know, offices are so stuffy Mm. and people create a space to either make themselves comfortable or to like impress people. And that's not going to work. Yeah. (laughs) So I changed my office. Like I created Mm. a space where they were comfortable 
Um, I had pictures of former athletes all over my walls. Um, I had my walls were red. I had big comfy chairs because these were big guys that needed big chairs to sit in. I let them play their music. I didn't nag about hats or pants being pulled up or headphones. I just like let, let them, them be. Yeah. And my and they hung out in my office all day, every day. I mean, and and that's how I that's how I really connected and formed a relationship. And I think I think too, you know, I work with a lot of coaches who who are tough people. Like they're by nature, like they're hard. You know, they're tough. And and I think there is tough love is is a is a good it can be a good thing. Like it is a real thing that works. But I always tell coaches that I work with, you've got to flip it. You got to love tough because if you put the tough before the love. A lot of times you're pushing people away in yeah. that moment. Like it, that feels judgy. That feels like you're looking down on me. I'm, I'm, I can't do anything right. If you love someone and you form a relationship with them as they are, and then you create, I call it freedom within a framework. You allow them to be who they are within a parameter of mm. acceptable behaviors. Yeah. So, you know, I would, I, and that's what I tried to do. I tried to form a relationship, love them, show them that I cared about them as a human being, not as a football player. Because a lot of these guys, too, people like them for their touchdowns and tackles, you know, yeah. but outside of that, n- no one cares. And so I tried to really show them that I cared about them as a human being. And then I think when you do that, you can be tough. Yeah. You know, you can, you set, earn the you right. can set boundaries and you can say like, okay, you're going to do that. Like today, you're going to do this. Yeah. <laughs> Period. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And they'll listen and to they'll you. And they'll do it because there's a respect. But right. the respect goes both ways. Yeah. That's the yeah. thing. I feel like people fall on one side, especially in parenting. And yeah. it's hard to know that balance. But yeah. yeah there's a, an adage of, I've gone over the whole, um, what was it? The... Wow, I can't even think. Ethos, Ethos pathos, pathos, logos. Are you mm-hmm, familiar with mm-hmm. that concept? I am, I am. Very similar. Yeah. You know, and the, the the saying is, no one cares how much you know until you know how much they care. care. And so if you're trying to get your logos, the, you have the answers to their problems, but they're not going to listen to them unless they trust you and they know that you care. And, and you and you have to do those things. Um, it's funny, Vince Lombardi probably had the most severe reputation for being tough. But when you talk to his players, the reason he was able to be that tough and still win championships and still have relationships and still have people who just loved and adored him was he's like, well, we knew that he loved us. Mm-hmm. We knew that you look at, I have all the guys that played for Bear Bryant come on the podcast. Right. And I love to hear the stories of Bear Bryant, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the men that played for them. And, you know, what, what I find, and again, he's dealing with a different problems than Nick Saban's dealing with Correct. right now. It's just, it's different. Correct. Yeah. But, but to see the, the boys that showed up you know, uh, to play for bear and they left men who went on to be husbands, fathers, businessmen, this huge ripple effect because he had that gift. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. that, that time period, uh, is so instrumental for people, you know, in, in the situation with like you're dealing with and, and even maybe some of the ones that might not have went to last chance you, but, but this is really their last chance. Mm-hmm. Like this is it. If they don't make it here. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's, so cool. And like, <clears throat> I, I, this is what God has called me to is the media and engaging in politics and all these other things. Um, John Croyle is a friend of mine. I'm not sure if you know him. I do, and so I do know him. I tell John, I'm like, man, I'm so jealous of what you guys get to do. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because amazing. like, that's, that's what my heart is. Like, I just want to help people because of what I've been through. But this is definitely, if you knew the story of how this came about, this is definitely where God has me. But um, to be able to make a difference in people's lives, um, 
And y'all are so both rewarding. doing that in very different ways, yeah. but in the ways that God has clearly shaped your life. I mean, even when, and again, this gives me hope for my kids. I mean, I look at myself too. If you told me I was going to be on a podcast or hosting a radio show, like, but you know, God knows where you're supposed to be. And I look at the lot. Okay. Ollie, is that him? I mean, he's hysterical. Where is he? Great kid. Great kid. He's in Houston, Texas. Now he's doing great. Um, so Ollie's backstory when he was from Shibuta, Mississippi, which is a, a extremely poor town in Mississippi. Um, when Ollie was five, his dad shot his mother and then shot himself and Ollie was there. And so homeless, traumatized, I mean, just hopeless. And he's in this tiny little trailer park in this tiny little town feeling like I get, I'm, I make up that he feels like he's never going to get out. And football was the way out for him. I mean, he was a big dude. Um, somebody put a football in his hand and it, and it kind of clicked. Um, and he had a scholarship offer to East Mississippi Community College, which was literally right down the road from where he lived. But that was kind of his opportunity. And I remember day one of meeting Ollie, he had a lot of behavior issues, obviously, um, when he got to us. And, and I, and I remember asking him one day though, kind of in a frustration, in a frustrating moment for me, because I couldn't get him. I was struggling to connect with him, struggling to get him to kind of do what I needed him to do. And I asked him, I said, okay, look, what's the goal here? Like, what, like, what's your goal? What's your, what are your dreams? And he, he's, and thank goodness he, he did. But, um, cause now I realized that was a ignorant question, yeah. <laughs> but I, at the time I was just like panning, but he, he looked at me and he said, Miss Wagner, I haven't seen enough to have a dream. Mm. And I mean, he, that was as genuine as he, the, he wasn't trying to be disrespectful. Like that was his for real, for real, genuine answer. And he was right. He hadn't. I mean, he had never been out of Shibuta, Mississippi. Like, what was he dream? Um, and so, you know, I realized real quick, like, that's that's my path. Like, I, I've got to help him to see that, like, there's more out there for you. Like, you don't have to stay here and do this. Like, you don't um, – You there's more. And whether it's football or not – um, and and he, you know, there's a scene in in second season in the first season of the show where he he's getting scholarship offers and he tells the coach um, no thank you because in his mind he realizes that in order to go to that in order to take a visit to that college he's going to have to fly on a plane mm-hmm. and he had never been out of Shibuta. I mean he didn't know he was scared. I mean how am I going to navigate an uh. airport? Like I don't know how to do this. And so he tells the coach no thank you. And I find out coach calls me and he's like dude. You know, Ollie just turned down our visit. <laughs> this is a D1 scholarship offer. Like, he just said, no, thank you. <laughs> and I am, like, thinking, this kid, because for me, in, in kids like that, in situations like that, which we had a lot in situations like that, it's more than a scholarship. It's it's security for the next two years mm-hmm. of your life. Like, it's a yeah. bed. It's a roof over your head. It's meals. And, f- you know, sometimes I would find myself being selfish because I would be like, I want this. I need to know that you're going to be okay for the next two years. Like this, I need this scholarship for you. Um, Because without that, I didn't know where they would end up, you know, what they would do. And so, you know, I'm, I'm freaking out because I'm like, how did he just turn this down? And so I go talk to him about it and it hits me in the middle of our conversation. Like he's scared to fly. And so I was like, dude, are you, you don't want to go because you have to fly. Right. And his face, you know, like mm. to see that I had like br- figured it Unlocked out, you know, his face. And he, and so I convinced him like, you're going to be okay. You know, we're going to help. We'll help you. I mean, at one point I was like, I'll fly with you. I was going to say, I like, bet you got I on the plane with him. I don't care, but you are not turning this offer down. 
and he ended up going and making it. But now, now to think that like he lived, he played football at Nickel State um, in Thibodeau, Louisiana, and graduated from there. And then um, he lives in Houston, Texas now. He's doing great. He played for the CFL, so he's gotten to go to Canada oh, and wow. live in Canada and see that. He's gotten to see you know, um, a lot of different places and he's just kind of formed his own path. And, um, you know, there, there was a time he, he made a CFL team and he was super excited and he got to Canada and he was playing and I got a text from him one day and he was like, I think I'm going to quit. Are you going to be mad at me? And I'm like, absolutely not, man. Like, I don't care if you play football or not, you know, like, but what's up? Yeah. And he was like, I, I just don't, I don't love it anymore. Like I don't love the game anymore. It feels like it feels different now. And I think for him, you know, he was the star of the show, season one, like he was the guy. And I think for him, it wasn't, he couldn't just go out on the field and play football anymore. Like he went out on the field and it was like Ronald Ollie, Ronald Ollie. And you know, like every people were coming to see him, not the team. And like, there was, you know, everybody wanted to interview him and it was just like, it, it was, I think that part of it was exhausting for him. And so he quit for a little while and then um, came back and he's in Houston training right now. Cause I think the CFL season starts, it's a weird, weird dates or whatever, but, but he's doing great. So is he going to keep playing? I think so. Okay. I think so. Yeah. Mm. And my dog's name is Ollie. That's so after sweet. Him. So we got this little puppy in a couple years ago and my daughter was like, I want to name him Ollie. And I'm like, well, that's cool, but I think we should FaceTime him and ask him because I don't want him to be offended. Was like, it a cute yeah. dog? We named our dog after yeah. him. Like, it's kind of <laughs> weird. So I fa- we FaceTimed him and we were like, look, we got it. And Kennedy was like, we got a puppy. And he's like showing, she's like showing him. And then she's like, can we name him Ollie? And his eyes just filled up with tears. He was like, absolutely. So wow. That's so sweet. Our dog's name is Ollie. Yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> like, you got me crying over here. I know. Well... <laughs> Wait, I so, have one more question. No, 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 no. Oh. So we're going to come back behind the scenes for our paying members, and we're going to have more stories of Last Chance You and other things and more aggressively inquisitive questions <laughs> from Allison. I love that. That is worth $5 a month if there's <laughs> anything. But that'll wrap it up uh, for the regular episode, guys. Again, please do uh, support the work we're doing at 1819 News. Support nonprofit journalism. Support independent journalism. Uh, go to 1819news.com. Click the button, become a member. Membership start as little as $5 a month. Until next time, put your trust in God and keep your powder dry.